There are four main vital signs that doctors look for. So let's say you're going to the doctor or you're going to the emergency room. Let's say, let's say that you're going to the emergency room and you have some type of trauma that you're walking through. Well, there's some vital signs that the ER doctor or nurses are going to be looking for. And, and these are four main vital signs. And, and there could be some other vital signs that are looked for. But here are the four main that you would look for. You look for body temperature, uh, pulse rate, respiration rate, the rate of your breathing, and then your blood pressure. Right? So those, are, those would be kind of four main vital signs of our physical body that would be important that those are normal. We need normal body temperature. Uh, we need our pulse rate to be normal. We need our blood pressure to be normal. And, and those are things that if these things are elevated or these rates are not normal, then there's, it's a sign that there's something wrong on the inside. You know, wouldn't it be nice if we could see everything that was going on in the inside of our bodies so that we could know what's wrong with us before things start acting out? But that's really not what we see. We have these, we have these triggers that can show us through physical means what is happening on the inside. And these are vital signs of, of a physical body that is either unhealthy or is healthy. And so through that lens, this is what we're going to look at. Through that lens of vital signs, this is kind of the lens I want us to look at for our church. And we can look at this lens not only through the lens of our church as a whole, but, but what makes a congregation. Well, what makes a congregation are the individual members that make up the congregation. So the church is is you and it's me and it's you and it's you and it's and it's you and it's it's all of our individual lives we are the church but also the church is us we are the church and so when individual members of the body of Christ come together on Sundays when we worship together and then when we serve together when we fulfill the great commission together we we are the church so we're individual but we're many we are many but we are one And we're going to look at that as we dive into Romans chapter 12 over the next few weeks. But just on this subject of the church, what makes a church alive? What makes a church healthy? What are the things that you would say that we could say that we'll see through God's word would make a church healthy? You know, there's really one institution that the Lord has committed to building. Only one institution. He's not committed to building the Republican Party. The Democratic Party He's not committed to building um, 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 uh, uh, any institution you can think of that's from a worldly perspective. He's committed to building one institution, and that is the institution of his church. Look what Matthew 16, 18, Peter makes the bold declaration of who Christ is. And then the Lord says this, I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will Build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What an amazing promise from the Lord of the church. He looks at Peter and he says, this revelation, that's what I'm going to build my church on. This revelation of the Christ, of who I am. And I am committing that I will build the church. I will build the church. I'm committed to the church. And there are many people who try to build churches, try to grow churches with strategies and, and plans. And there's nothing wrong with strategies and plans. But I think the greatest strategy and plan is to allow the Lord to build his church. And the greatest strategy and plan is that we would, we would function as a church as God has designed us to function. You know, I, this, this message I'm preaching here this, this morning, it started out as the message I preached 
March 11th, 2018. Does anybody remember what March 11th, 2018 was? Were you here March 11th? Oh, that's a good question. Who was here March 11th, 2018? Yeah. Okay, so who wasn't here March 11th, 2018? There's more that were not here than that are here. What happened March 11th, 2018 was my first message as senior pastor. March 11th, 2018. And we started a series called DNA. And we looked at what a church is, what a church should prioritize. And this was, this started out as I was about to go into Romans 12 and I just kept thinking about this subject of, of what a church is, what a church should be, what should the priorities of the church be and how to, how, how we're going to pull that out of Romans 12. And I just looked at my, I just looked at my notes from March 11, 2018 and I thought, I'm preaching this. And then I just sat with it and I sat with it and I tweaked it. So it's a whole nother message now. But this is what we're going to preach. This is what we're going to look at. What are the vital signs of a healthy church? What is a church to be? You know, the, the word church in Matthew 16 that is used is the word ecclesia. Ecclesia. And it's ecclesia is translated to, to, to mean those that are called out, the called out ones, the ecclesia, those that have been called out from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the dear son, Jesus Christ, right? Called out from darkness to light. This is the body of Christ. If, you, if you've been called out from the darkness from, from the kingdom of darkness, enslaved to sin, and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a part of the ecclesia of God, his church. And so this is a summary of the church. It's individual, it's individual believers who make up the universal church, who live in a local context, and make the habit of gathering together for common gospel purpose, for, for spiritual growth, and for encouragement. And so if we're going to examine from that standpoint of this is the church, this is God's committed to building it, if we're going to look at what a church is to be and how it's to function, let's go to the beginning when the church was birthed. And the church was birthed, we see in Acts chapter 2, after the ascension of Christ, his death, burial, resurrection, and he ascends. And before he ascends, he gives the great commission, which we'll look at later in this message in Matthew chapter 28. But before the ascension is the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes and empowers a group of believers and the gospel is preached. And we'll look at that here later on in this message. The gospel is preached and 3,000 are born again and the church is birthed in power and it begins to spread. And so we see even at the very beginning of the birth of the church, some very key nuggets we're going to look at in Acts 2 verses 41 through 47. And in these verses, we're going to pull out four vital signs of a healthy church. So let's look at Acts 2 starting in verse 41. So those who received his word, which would be Peter. Peter preached the first New Testament message. Those who received his word were baptized. little sidebar here. If you're a believer and you've not been baptized, you need to get busy getting baptized. That's the public declaration of faith. How do we go public with our faith? Through water baptism. We declare to the world Jesus is ours and we belong to him. And we go public through baptism. The first ones that got saved got baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, look what did the church start doing? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all. Many of you right there are checking out. You're like, I, 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 I like the Bible, and I like the bread, and... Selling possessions, distributing to all as any had need. 
Look at verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together. Some of you are checking out right now. Every day they went to the temple. Right? Breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with gladness and generous Glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Some powerful verses here. Vital signs. What are the vital signs of a healthy church? What do we see in Acts 2? Four vital signs. Simply put, here's the first vital sign. Vital sign one. Biblical nourishment. It's the first thing that every healthy church should have. Is biblical nourishment. And we see the priority of it right when the church is birthed. We see the priority. Look at the text. Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to teaching, to the word of God. To be devoted, it means this commitment. They were committed. They were devoted. It wasn't this loose connection. There was a commitment to the teaching of God's word. To be devoted means that we, there's a persistence. There's a faithfulness. There's a commitment. You know what is interesting also? Not only were they committed to the teaching of the word of God after the church was birthed, but... Just to note, it's very important that souls were saved and the church was birthed through the preaching of God's word. How are people born again? Through the word. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews and to the Greeks, right? The gospel, the word of God is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So the the church is birthed through the word. Peter stood up. On, on the day of Pentecost, and he began to preach the word. Well, well, what word did he preach? The Old Testament. I, I, I love it. He preached three sections of scripture. He was an expositor. He went through verse by verse and preached the word of God from the Old Testament and showed who Christ was and why they needed to repent. He preached from Joel 2, 28 through 32. He preached Psalm 16, and he preached Psalm 110. The first New Testament sermon was a word sermon. Isn't that powerful? When the word of God is not prioritized in the life of the church, God's people grow spiritually anemic. Because the word of God is what births the church. It is the nutrients that is needed to birth the church. It is the incorruptible seed of the word of God. God's word is like a seed, but it is incorruptible. It cannot decay. It will not pass away. And when that seed is implanted in the heart, of a person that is a sinner, that seed, if it's received and, and mixed with the nutrients of faith and belief, that seed will produce a harvest of salvation, a harvest of sanctification. And so when someone is birthed through the word of God into salvation, if that word is not used to bring nutrients and stability and growth into that person that was birthed with the word, then they're going to grow spiritually anemic and weak and unsanctified and unholy and unrighteous. And they will not grow spiritually. This is why when new believers get saved, they they need the word. This is why when new believers get saved and they get older in the faith, they still need the word at every season and stage and growth of your life. A spiritually healthy church, a, a, a vital sign of a healthy church is a church that brings biblical nourishment. Biblical nourishment. And this is not just something we see We see uh, 
at the beginning of the church in Acts 2. We see it all over Scripture. There's a couple of sections I want to look at. This biblical priority is all over Scripture. Let's look at one Old Testament uh, a, a, a section that shows the biblical, the priority of God's word for God's people. And then we'll look at one other New Testament. Do you remember the nation of Israel was constantly uh, in this cycle of loving the Lord and serving the Lord and then rebelling against God and connecting with pagan nations. And then, and then at some point in their history, they, they, were, they were exiled because of that rebellion. And God judged them and allowed that exile to take place. And one of the exiles that took place was an, an exile from their homeland into Babylon by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And we see that in 2 Kings 17 and 25. And as a result, there's a divided kingdom and Jerusalem is destroyed. The temple is destroyed in Jerusalem and the walls around Jerusalem are torn down and destroyed. And then, and then we see led by Joshua and Zerubbabel, the rebuilding process begins. You see that in Ezra 6, the temple is dedicated and, and then the priest Ezra is sent back to get the word of God and bring it to Jerusalem and to teach the people of God the commands of God. And you see that in Ezra 7. God's house is finally rebuilt. It's dedicated the walls through Nehemiah. If you read through Nehemiah, you see how God used Nehemiah to rally the people of God for the rebuilding of the wall against much opposition. So the temple is restored. The walls of protection for God's people are restored. But the word of God is not brought back yet for its central place. And we see the word of God brought back to the center of the family of God, the people of God in Nehemiah 8. And listen to the response to the word of God. Nehemiah 8 says, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard. On the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square from the water gate from early morning until midday. In the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. To God's holy word. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen. Lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The word of God had been collecting dust and the people had been in rebellion against God. And they were under the judgment of God because they had left the law of God. They had left. The people had disconnected themselves from the word of God, from the life-giving nutrients of God's word. And as a result of that, they were spiritually anemic and and unhealthy, and, and they went into paganism and rebellion, and God judged them. But then when, as they come back, as they repent, what needs to be front and center into the life of God's people? His word. His word. A spiritual awakening took place. And this is what I'll say. All true spiritual awakenings involve the opening of and the teaching from God's word. All true spiritual awakenings. If you want to look at what might somebody might call the move of God or a move of the Holy Spirit, if the word of God is not reverenced and honored in that awakening or in that movement, it is not from God. All true revivals or spiritual awakenings have as its foundation the truth of Holy Scripture. The word of God will be taught. Listen to New Testament real quickly. Paul's admonition to Pastor Timothy. Listen to the priority of the New Testament pastor. First Timothy 4, 
If you put these things before the brothers, put the word before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith. We are to be trained. I am to be trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. What does Paul tell Timothy? Command this good doctrine. Command and teach the word, these things. And listen to what Paul tells Timothy. Until I come, Timothy, pastor, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. That's why we read publicly every Sunday. Uh, a, an elder a pastor will come and grab that mic and open the Bible, a pre-selected section of Scripture to publicly read like you saw Ezra read in Nehemiah. Publicly read Scripture. We just don't do it all day and all night and as in Nehemiah 8. But this is why we do it. The public reading of Scripture. Devote yourself to that. Devote yourself to exhortation and to teaching. And look what it says there, Pastor. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. And do what? Persist in this. For by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So one of the first elements, the vital sign of a healthy church is biblical nourishment. Biblical nourishment. Devote ourselves to this. Persist in this. Command and teach. Teach God's word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Church's birth, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to being taught, to being fed God's word. God designed the church to be a place where his word is proclaimed and explained. That was from my first message. I I didn't take that out. I said that Four plus years ago, God designed the church to be a place where his word is proclaimed and explained. I I love what Tony Marita says about this section in Acts 2. He says, this truth is a great reminder that pastors must lay down any desire to preach opinions and must avoid the temptation to entertain or to play with people's emotions. Each must seek to please an audience of. Of one. Pastors must believe scripture is sufficient to build up and to bless the church. Churches, in turn, must submit to God's word when it is faithfully taught. Amen. Vital sign number one, biblical nourishment. All right. Vital sign number two. Let's check ourselves. Let's check ourselves, right? Check our vital sign. Number two, loving fellowship. Biblical nourishment, loving Fellowship. Look at the text, Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, apostles' teaching, but then to the fellowship. Look at verse 44. And all who believed were together. They believed and they were separate. No, no, they believed and they were together and had all things in common, in common. And day by day, they attended the temple together and breaking bread in their Homes. If you're going to break bread in my home, it means you got to be, we got to be together. If you're going to break bread in each other's homes, it means that you're together. They receive their food with glad and generous hearts. You see it. You see from the outset of the birth of the church, you have the biblical nourishment, the teaching. They're devoted to that. But then you see a clear devotion to fellowship, to being together, all things in common, day by day, day by day, fellowship, eating in each other's homes, fellowshipping. Loving fellowship. This is a vital sign of a healthy church. You know, the, the word fellowship there where it says in verse 42 of Acts 2 that they devote themselves to the fellowship. That word fellowship comes from the Greek word koinonia. Koinonia. And koinonia is a lot different than the English word fellowship. The English word fellowship could mean just that we hang out together. 
right? And that we're, we're, we're hanging out together and I might invite you over to my house for a steak and we'll hang out together and we'll watch some golf together, which by the way, I did for Father's Day kick up for four hours. Got a wonderful wife and watch the U.S. Open. I might, you know, right? So we, you invite me to my house, I invite you to your house and we hang out. Fellowship, that's what we think of fellowship. But koinonia is not just hanging out. The beautiful picture of the word koinonia that is the Greek word for the English word fellowship is this, is that koinonia is a deep gut level, heart level connection that is centered around a unity around the transformation of the gospel. It is not merely a surface fellowship and connection because we do common things together. We, we hang out together. We do sports together. We, we go to games together. We, we, uh, those are all fellowship things that are good. But true loving fellowship, Christian fellowship, is, is that I can have fellowship and connection with somebody who's not a believer. I can do things with other people who aren't Christians. But there is something unique and special when a brother and a brother, and a sister, and a sister, and a brother, and a sister have a fellowship. And what makes it special is this, is that I think Christ is the greatest treasure this side of heaven. He has saved me. He has redeemed me. He has transformed me. He has delivered me from sin, the addiction to sin, and the the slavery of sin. And I'm a new creation in Christ. And you think Christ is the greatest treasure this side of heaven. And you've been saved and redeemed and delivered from the slavery to sin. And on that connection, we have a deep, heartfelt koinonia that the world can never have. They can have a connection together because of their sin. That may join them together for a season and for a time. But there's a koinonia that we can have a fellowship, a heart felt connection that the world can never understand because we get each other do you get me do you understand me do you get me you get what what makes my world go around you know what makes my world go around when i get up i think about lord what do you have me to do today what what's what's on your heart for me today who do you want me to talk to today who can i impact today and you wake up the same way don't you right you get me and I get you and we're like aliens living together we're we're a bunch of aliens are we not we're pilgrims we're sojourners we're strangers we're aliens and we're living in this world together and the world looks at us and they look at us and they say they say these are some crazy people these are some crazy people they believe Certain things that God's word says is true. They believe this about marriage and family and gender and sexuality and abortion. They believe this, that Jesus is the only way. They believe this. They believe what? These are weird. These are wackos. These are lunatics. These are Bible thumpers. Well, hey, we're in it together. We're in it together. Are we not? That is much different than just, hey, you want to hang out at my house? Let's watch a game. Drink a Dr. Pepper. Koinonia. Loving fellowship. I'll do anything for you. I would do anything. If it is in my means to do anything for you, I would do anything for you. You are my brothers and you are my sisters. And I know you would do the same for one another. We're partners in the gospel. I just want to say this, that because of that reality... Lack of connection to Christ's body is a foreign concept in Scripture. 
You don't see it anywhere in Scripture. You see at the very birth of the church, they, 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 they fellowshiped. They had koinonia every day, day by day, in the temple, breaking bread, home to home. Now, a lot of it had to do with the fact that they were under persecution and that they needed each other a lot more than we think we need each other now. Because their physical life was in danger. And, you know, there's something about persecution. If we ever experience it here in America, I think we'll realize real quickly that we need each other a lot more than we think we do. Or at least how we live like we do. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Amen. Hold fast to your hope. For he who promised is faithful. That's why we can hold fast to our hope. Because God never fails. And let us do what? Because of this hope in a God that is faithful, that hope, that common unity that we have, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together. Acts 2, together, together, home to home, house to house. Let us not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As our culture increasingly embraces anti-biblical viewpoints, it becomes that much more imperative that we see each other as partners in the gospel rather than competitors or enemies. May we never see each other as competitors or enemies. That was in my message from 2018. Who's, who's ever heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a theologian and a pastor during World War II in Germany. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer stood against Hitler and Nazi Germany, ultimately to the cost of his life. And so at one point, Hitler arrest has Dietrich Bonhoeffer arrested and thrown into a German prison awaiting his execution. So he, Dietrich had some time, months of time in prison. And while he's in prison, Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes probably one of his most famous books, most famous book, popular book that people read now. His book was called Life Together. And I want to quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together. Now, I just want you to think about this, okay? So here's Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor in the middle of World War II and the atrocities of Hitler and, and the Nazis and the persecution of those who truly stood for, the, for, the, for, for life and for the gospel and for the, stood against the evils and the atrocities of Hitler. And they're under persecution and there's pressure and there's pressure. It would be very similar to Acts 2. There's pressure. There's, there's difficulty. And so you can imagine that in Dietrich's life as a pastor, he's connected even more closely in the middle of pressure and pain and suffering. So he's close. He's connected. He's loving his people. They're loving him. They're caring for each other. And then he gets arrested and he's in prison. And then he begins to think about what he's lost. That koinonia. Listen to what he writes. He says, it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with brothers and sisters in Christ. The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. Isn't that true? Is that how we see it? Nothing but a grace that we're allowed to live in community with brothers and sisters in Christ. Because he had lost it. He had lost it. And he was alone. And he had lost that koinonia and that fellowship, the connection. So here's some questions to ask ourselves about this. And again, 
vital signs, right? Let's take the monitors on, let's check our heart, put the monitor in our heart, put it for our pulses, check the vital signs. So here's some questions. Let's check the vital signs of loving fellowships. Here's some questions for us to ask ourselves, check ourselves. Do you have fellowship with God through Jesus? Well, that's right, Terry. Are you working? Here's another, here's another question. Are you working at building deep relationships with others in the church? Here's another question. Could it be that you love the idea of community more than the actual people in your church? That's a, that's a challenging one. What about this? Here's a, here's a hard one. Are you complaining about a lack of community rather than asserting yourself to serve and love others in your congregation? You can say, ouch, if that hits you a little bit. What about this one? This is, this is challenging for us. Do you arrive early enough to interact with people on Sunday? Or are you a ninja slipping in late and excusing yourself early? Sometimes, sometimes we're like ninjas. I know I'm guilty of it. You're, we, we can all be like ninjas from time to time. Like this is just a spiritual checkup, vital sign. This is a vital sign, biblical nourishment, loving fellowship. Let's, let's do a checkup. We need each other and we need koinonia. We need fellowship. We have the koinonia. We have it because we're brothers and sisters in Christ, but we need to stir it up and to build it and to strengthen it, to connect that bond. And so may we not be like ninjas in and out. Let me get my message, but may we go beyond Sunday attendance and may we, may we, instead of sitting back and waiting, I wish somebody would love me and talk to me. He who needs a friend needs to be friendly, right? What are the vital signs of a healthy church? What's the first thing we looked at? A few of y'all actually remembered. <laughs> Second, loving fellowship. What's the third vital sign? Let's look back at the text. Here's the third vital sign. Look at verse 42 and 43. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, biblical nourishment, and the fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and being together day by day. It's a loving fellowship. And then listen to this. To the breaking of bread and the prayers, verse 43, and awe came upon every soul. The breaking of bread and the prayers. I believe the breaking of bread here is the Lord's Supper. There's also food that could be shared, but I believe this is connected to the Lord's Supper, to communion, to prayer. And awe came upon every soul. So the third vital sign I see in this text, vital sign number three, vibrant worship. Vibrant worship. Or you could say passionate hearts for the Lord, vibrant worship, passionate heart for Christ, biblical nourishment, loving fellowship, vibrant worship, a passionate heart, vibrant, vibrancy. And certainly when I'm using the phrase vibrant worship, if you listen to the series True Worship a few weeks ago when we did a two-part series on true worship, you know I'm certainly not saying that vibrant worship means that we are vibrantly singing songs. That is not the only way in which we worship. What did we learn from the series True Worship? We worship through the songs we sing, the messages we preach, the testimonies we give, the new believers we baptize, the Lord's Supper we partake of, the prayers of thanksgiving we offer, the the common unity we experience, the koinonia that we experience. These are all ways in which we worship. But a vital sign of a healthy church, I think, is connected with verse 43. Notice the beginning of verse 43. And awe came upon every soul. The word awe there has the meaning of deep reverence. 
awe, deep reverence for Christ and his word, a deep reverence for Christ and his church. What does that mean if you're standing in awe and reverence? It means that your heart has been impacted. It means that this is not just mechanical orthodoxy. This is not just rote religion. This is not just something that, that, that you're coming because you feel like you have to do it and you're checking the box and you've got your religious list that you're doing. And No, no, you see this in the early church. It was day by day, but it wasn't just these habits that they did, though they were good habits. There was an awe connected to their fellowship and their connection and their worship. Awe came upon every soul. Awe came upon every heart. There's a heart impact. Worship is not intended to be dead, mechanical orthodoxy. There's a vibrancy when we gather. A heart that is full of passion for the Lord. Listen to the psalmist David as he speaks about the Lord in Psalm 42. Listen to this. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I know you guys, what month are we in? June? You're ready to chase some panting deer, aren't you? (laughs) You want to chase those. You want to cause those deers to pant. Actually, you don't want them to pant. You want them to stand still. That's coming in October, right? But notice as that deer, why is the deer panting? Because he's been running from the hunter. or He's been running to try to catch his prey. There's that thirst. So my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. Listen to this. He's talking about passion and love for the God, for God and desperation as a deer is panting for water. And what is the result of that? How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, passion and vibrancy, vibrant love and passion for the Lord. Are we vibrantly passionate for the Lord? Do we love to gather together and, hey, come with me? Come with me to the house of God, to the church of God, so we can passionately worship our God, so we can listen to his word taught, so we can grow in the faith and love our Lord and love one another. I can't wait to get to the house of God, to be with the people of God, and to worship God through singing and and prayer and preaching and listening and giving and fellowship and koinonia. May we actually love to be in the house of God with God's people on the Lord's day. So have you ever tried to convince your spouse that you're excited about something that you're really not excited about? You ever tried to fake it till you make it? Ladies, your husband asks you, you know, watch the game with me. You're going to go on that hunting trip with me. Now, some of you ladies, you like watching the game and you like hunting. So I'm not trying to stereotype there, but let's just say, you know, there's something your husband wants you to do. And you got to fake it till you make it. And, you, and, and, and you're trying to prove to him that you really want to be a part of this and be a part of his world. But it's all over you. You just don't want to be a part of it. How about this, guys? How about your wife asking you to watch that Hallmark movie? 
Now, guys, I have to say, if you like to watch Hallmark movies, um, you can come talk to me afterwards. <laughs> Ladies, I'm good with you hunting and watching games, but guys, Hallmark movies, I don't know. I don't know. It's the same story. Different names and characters. It ends. It starts the same way. It ends the same way. But guys, you, you, you fake it till you make it, right? Let's not. Let's not do that with the church, with the gathering. You know, I think this is sometimes, this is sometimes what happens. You know, we're, we're, we're going to be talking about spiritual gifts over the next few weeks. I think sometimes, look, this may hurt a little bit, but I just want to say it. Some of us here may have the spiritual gift of criticism or skepticism or wait and see instead of as the deer pants for the water brooks. Hey, come with me. I'm thirsty. I know you're thirsty. Let's come to the house of the Lord and with shouts of joy and praises. Amen. Amen. Yeah. It's a good time for a clap. Instead of, you know, we talked about in the true worship series. I kind of beat, beat you up a little bit there, right? Oh, that song again. What's going to happen? I don't know what's going on with this church. Wait and see. We need to pray that the Lord would give us the heart of the psalmist again. Look at Psalm 84. You need to pray this. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, just faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy for the living God. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Amen. May our doubts or fears or offenses not rob us of the joy of the Lord that comes from unified worship with God's people in God's house. So vital signs, vital signs of a healthy church, biblical nourishment, loving fellowship, vibrant, passionate worship because of our hearts are vibrant and passionate for our Lord. And lastly, here today, here's what I believe is another vital sign of a healthy church. Vital sign four, word and deed outreach. Word and deed outreach. Look back at the text, Acts 2.45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Simply put, here's my definition of that verse right here. A healthy church is a mission-driven church. A healthy church is a compassionate church. A healthy church is a church that sees the needs of others and desires to meet those needs. A healthy Christian, a healthy church is a mission-driven church. They were selling their possessions, meaning they were bringing their finances together for multiplied impact to meet the needs of others. Obviously, the needs of each other in the body of Christ. But we also know that our 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 job and our goal is to reach the world around us. And so what I would call that is that a healthy church is a word and deed church. We, 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 we have word and deed outreach. Word outreach would be this. It would be the preaching of the gospel. That is word outreach. We preach the gospel consistently so the world can hear. And we preach it in our lives. And then we have the deed, deed outreach. That is the hands and feet of the gospel. Word and deed outreach. Simply put, God's people are gospel people. And gospel people are compassionate people. And compassionate people are generous people. God's people are gospel people. And gospel people are compassionate people. And compassionate people are generous people. And that is the sign of a healthy church. And I believe we are such a generous church. 
You guys, we, this is an area I think our church thrives in and we are continuing to grow in and we, we send money all over the world for missionaries and support. And you, anytime there's issues in our community, when we came together for Hurricane Ida, we were not only a word-centered church, we preached the gospel through word, but we did it through deeds. We met the needs of people and we always seek for ways to do that. But I think so often we overcomplicate what our mission is as a church. And churches can, can overthink what their mission is. But it's really simple. It's Matthew 28. You guys know it. This is the Great Commission. This is what healthy churches are committed to doing. Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So what's the heart of the Great Commission? It's to make disciples, word outreach. We preach the gospel, disciples are made through the gospel. We saw that in Acts 2, right? Peter preached, disciples were made, the word must be preached for people to become Christians. If all we give them are our good deeds, if all we give people are our good deeds, then we just help them survive this temporary life without Christ and they will spend eternity separated from God unless we give them the word of God. So it's, this is how the disciples are made. We make disciples and then we teach them. We preach the gospel and we train others to preach the gospel. An outward focus. And then an inward focus. This is like a circular mission of the church. We have an outward focus to proclaim the gospel. And people become born again. Disciples are made. And we have an inward focus to teach and to train. To give that biblical nourishment and that loving fellowship. So that those disciples can become mature. So that they can go out in word and deed outreach. So disciples can be made. So that they can come in and receive biblical nourishment. Loving fellowship. To go out. Did you guys follow that? It's a circular pattern of the Great Commission. And then the Lord builds His church for the glory of His name. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? How can we apply this outward missional focus in our everyday life? Let me put something practical for you. I, I saw this when I was studying. I think we can grow in, in this area. This is a vital sign we can always grow in. This is what I, I found from a pastor of, of, of a church. I was reading his book about evangelism, and he called it his 555 plan. So it's going to be in your handout. If you didn't get the handout, you can get it later at the welcome desk. But if you got a handout and the notes for the message, it's going to be there. This is the 555 plan. And this is what the 555 plan is. It's five people, one from each network. And this is what we do with the five people from each network. I'll show you what the network is. But we commit to do one of five things. Pray for them, serve them, give gospel-centered literature to them, invite them, or speak the gospel to them. Five things. Five, five, five. Commit to do one, one of five things or all the five things. Pray for them. We can all pray for people who don't know the Lord, right? Pray for them. Serve them. How can you serve someone who's not a believer in your life? Give gospel-centered literature to them. Maybe that means sending them a link to a sermon from Living Word Church. Maybe that means giving them a Bible. Maybe that means giving them the what is a gospel book that we could give you to give to them. But what gospel-centered literature. Invite them. Commit to invite them to church. You never know. They may come. Speak the gospel to them. Tell them who Christ is and how they can be born again. Five, five, five. So here are the five networks. 
Are there any unbelievers in your family? On your job? At work? In the neighborhood? What about in your neighborhood? Recreation? What do you do for fun? Where do you hang out? Where do you go to do things for fun? Where do you recreate, right? Who's not saved in that area? And then commercial, that would be where do you shop? Where do you eat? Where do you go in public? Five, five, five. Think of one person from each of those networks and commit at minimum to pray for them. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And the person you think that will never commit, will never follow Christ, you, you commit to praying for them and watch what the Lord will do. Pray for them. Serve them. Care for them. Meet their needs. Give them a Bible. Give them a gospel tract. Invite them to church to worship with you. And watch what the Lord does. Amen? Amen. The vital signs of a healthy church. What, what, what are they? Biblical nourishment. Loving fellowship. Vibrant worship. And word and deed outreach. So, two questions as we end. We're, we're going to end singing a song. So when I close in prayer, don't, don't dart off yet. Let's vibrantly worship together as we end. But here's two questions. Where do we need to grow? Where do we need to grow? Where can we get stronger? That means you and me, where can we grow individually? Or where can we grow and get stronger together? Think about those four areas. Father, we pray for our church. God, I thank you for our church. I thank you for Living Word Church. This is your church that you promised to build. And I pray, God, that we would be faithful to your word and faithful to your gospel, that we would not ever compromise it, that we would boldly declare it and proclaim it. I thank you for biblical nourishment that we're able to give week in and week out. And I thank you for loving fellowship. And God, I, I thank you. Lord, I, I thank you for vibrant worship and prayer. I thank you for word and deed outreach. And I pray, God, that in any area in our life personally, in any area corporately, I pray that we would grow. Areas that we are spiritually anemic, I pray that we would be strengthened. And I pray that we would be a church that loves one another, serves one another. I pray that we would be continue to be a missional church that reaches the world and we see people born again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's close in worship.